podcast by GRCC DLIT. With your hosts, Meg Lockhart, Rachel Lovewood Daner, and me, Jermaine Reese. Welcome, Christina McElwee, to Speaking of Teaching. Christina McElwee is an Associate Professor of English at Grand Rapids Community College. Prior to entering the wonderful world of higher education, Christina taught for several years in the K-12 school system. Christina has found writing to be both cathartic and an excellent way to connect and communicate with her students. As an educational, inspirational, and social justice writer, Christina has been published in Grand Valley State's University's College Magazine, several Christian-based publications, and Pensive Magazine. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Well, glad. You say that now. Yeah. But once we get into the questioning and the interrogation and everything unfolds, or we just leave her sitting there while we think of questions to ask her. Just awkward silence uh, and see how things manifest. <laughs> <laughs> you had no idea. They'll manifest quite quickly if you just <laughs> sit there in silence. I have no problem speaking about so, anything. Take us back to March 11th, It's like exactly a year ago. It was. Yeah, to almost, yesterday. To yesterday. I keep, sorry, friend. Keep going. That's Okay. <laughs> We have those few moments in between Meg and I. So take us back to March 11th or 12th, 2020, when the notices started coming from our administrative office and uh, provost that we would be moving everything as we know it, you know, the infamous P-Day, pandemic day, mm-hmm. um, that we would be moving to an, an, an online format. Um, what were thoughts that went through your mind as you prepared to move your content from your traditional modes of teaching to exclusively online? Well, I was actually in a different role um, back in March of 2020. So I was the director of the CTE. So I had a little bit of a heads up that um, we were making the switch I only had one course um, that I needed to switch over to fully online. So I prepared them um, that day in class and we went over everything we needed to know with Blackboard. I was already teaching a section of that course online. So for me, that part of the transition was fairly seamless. It was um, the work of the CTE that caused me the most anxiety. So being in that role, Um, created uh, a different set of circumstances, unique circumstances, because now um, you in that role were responsible for, or not necessarily responsible, but played a major role in providing resources to all of the other faculty and staff that would be migrating to that online environment. So talk to us about some of the, the things that went through your mind as the director over that, um, over that program or that, I was going to say bureau, like I'm still in the police department, (laughs) um, over that department. um, What was going on through your mind? Like real unfiltered Christina thoughts. Um, Some filter. Some filter, I guess. I, um, it was almost like second nature. Uh, We had a a day when, when classes were canceled for everyone, but the CTE was still open for folks to come in and, and get prepared. And so I really had no idea what I was 
gonna be looking at that day. Um, and it wasn't something that I really had time to think about or even like feel any angst towards. It was like, this is happening. This is your job go. Mm-hmm. And then we were on for, I don't know, 12 hours that day and some hours the next day. So it wasn't until after those days were over that I really sat and thought like, wow, um, I I did a, a ton of work. Um, I still don't know if people are really prepared for this online thing. And I just imagined all of the hard work to come, um, being available for faculty if they do need assistance and kind of, you know, how that was going to impact my teaching load and also how that was going to impact my sanity. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you 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 all did launch a pretty robust schedule for resources and um, workshops um, to to get you know faculty up to speed. So what was that like? There was a lot of collaboration between myself, Deb Vilma, and Dylan Carr, um, and other people on the CTE advisory team that I know um, had some expertise in online teaching. So immediately we we reached out to all the the people that we knew we could use as resources to get things on the calendar. Um, Deb, Dylan, and I had open office hours where. I would spend hours just sitting on Zoom or Google Meet, waiting for people to ask me questions. Never once um, did I sit there and not have someone ask me questions. So there were always questions coming in. I had emails coming in from admin. Um, I think the CTE became sort of the central location to push information out to faculty. So for me, that was quite overwhelming. And just knowing the amount of stress that everyone was under to continue sending them information. Um, I definitely felt like I was adding to their stress, but at the same time, it was information that folks needed to know. What kind of questions were people asking for those first two days where you had your like open office hours? Was there a theme or any consistencies between what faculty were asking for help with? I think one of the biggest areas was assessment. So how are we going to assess our students now that we're online? Um, Some people had no idea how to create an assessment in Blackboard or how to create a rubric. There are some folks that never used the rubric before in their, you know, face-to-face classes. So um, it was like on-the-fly professional development sessions, individualized professional development sessions based on what people needed. Wow. Did you even in in the... Like you said, you you had a sense that it was coming because of your interaction or your connected, your interconnectedness with administrative um, personnel on 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 campus. But did you see us being here even a year later? Absolutely not. Um, I I didn't think that we would be back last winter semester, um, but I did not foresee. The, the long-term implications of, you know, being online um, and how that would impact our students in our classes and, you know, just how we function as, as a community here at the college. Can you tell me, Christina, what has surprised you most about teaching in an exclusively online environment? I think one of the biggest surprises is I, I don't hate it. Um, <laughs> 
I, I'm definitely someone who thrives on uh, interaction with like real three-dimensional people. Um, but I am finding that uh, teaching online definitely allows you some flexibility um, in, in your schedule and, and how you structure your courses. So I think that is something that I was surprised by that I am enjoying. Can you talk also about um, your role now uh, as a dev ed instructor? And um, so you uh, went back to full-time teaching after you were the director of the CTE. Um, you're teaching dev ed and you also have a pandemic. So you have to teach dev ed online. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that was like um, creating those courses online and sort of um, the challenges of teaching developmental ed classes from a distance? Sure. That was probably the thing that scared me the most is after I returned to full time thinking, well, crap, now I have to prepare these developmental education courses to be taught online. Um, it was it was hard. It was a struggle. There probably were tears involved. Um, Meg, I know I had a lot of conversations with you and Rachel. Sorry, Jermaine, I didn't just leave me. Didn't out. reach out that's, to have that conversation just, with you. But, no, just don't consult um, the genius. It was. There's so much information that you need to convey um, in those developmental ed courses that. It, it took me a long time to figure out the best way to convey that to those students so that they actually you know, could understand and be successful. I think I worked and reworked and started over at least four or five times before I, I felt like I had a solid grasp on how to actually structure the course. And after I had a grasp on how to structure the course, um, then I could actually start planning and uh, this was a course that I hadn't taught previously, so creating you know new assignments and really making sure that I understood the curriculum so that I could deliver the best instruction to my students. Yeah, and you also teach um, courses that are not developmental education courses. Do you see a difference between how you approach the dev ed and the non-dev ed classes in any regard, like in design or delivery or or anything like that? I think that now, um, as I'm looking at you know designing courses for summer, I have figured that I need to structure them the, the same way. De de developmental or not, um, you need to have those clear and explicit directions. You need to have you know step by step by step outlined for them. Not only does it help provide clarity for them, but it also cuts down on some of the the questions that you're receiving on the other end brought a little tear to my eye girl yes yes <laughs> my day is tissues. complete now <laughs> did you feel like there were more barriers to you to putting devet online than your other courses because historically devet has not been offered online was it like kind of a bigger leap to envision what devet would be like online yeah, it was a it was a huge leap to even envision how that how that might go, especially in a class like integrated reading and writing, where we are specifically looking at how students are, you know, annotating a text. So then the question was, how do I look at that um, in an online environment where they're not actually handing me a, a piece of paper? And another challenge for DevEd students 
you know, pandemic or not, is using technology. So many of them come in at this deficit. They -hmm. don't know how to use Blackboard. They don't know how to check their email. Um, Logging on to Zoom is, is a huge challenge. So before I could even build content, I needed to think through, you know, these other logistical issues. How can I make it you know, the easiest for these students to access the technology so that won't be a barrier for their success. Can you give us an example of how you did that? Um, I created some Blackboard tutorials to walk my students through, you know, submitting an assignment. Um, This is how you use Google Docs and turn your, your doc into a PDF so that, you know, the instructor can view it. Even as simple as like, this is how you send an email to your instructor. These are the step-by-steps. So these tutorial videos, and then a lot of one-on-one on with Zoom. So I've had more students use my office hours this semester than I have any other time throughout my whole college career. And most of it is just for me to walk them through how to use the technology. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> so- in, in part of our conversation, we talked about how, and you mentioned this, how you thrive on the 3D interaction with 3D uh, humans, you know, three-dimensional humans. So um, that's one of the things that even, you know, in, in um, criminal justice and some of our programs, a lot of what we teach deals with organizational culture and trying to foster some of that culture to prepare students. And so when we thought of, in some of our conversation with each other, we talked about relationships and how, how or community building. Did you find that as a, a struggle with your courses? And, and what did you do to try to foster that community or sense of community? It's, it's definitely an ongoing struggle for me. Um, I don't feel like I've figured out the best way to do that. Um, I use a lot of discussion board. I have students post introductions other students interact with those Um, i just recently started using flipgrid which i love um, which gives students an opportunity to record themselves and then other students to watch that recording and and comment in the form of another recording Um, so i think it helps to be able to see each other um, and you know see what people look like and you can sort of get a feel for their personality that's been i think the, the most helpful tool that I've used for building community. What do you have them doing on Flipgrid, Christina? Um, I am having them do their introductions on Flipgrid. Um, I'm teaching writing in digital spaces this semester, um, which is, of course, Meg also teaches. Um, So I'm I'm using Flipgrid. uh, They're doing a podcast assignment this semester, so I'm using Flipgrid for that. Feel free to have them have us on as guests if you like. Oh, that's like meta podcasting. <laughs> yeah, they would be interested in that, I'm sure. Um, and I'm also, um, I think that's the only way that I'm actually using it currently. That probably will change for the summer semester. When you have your students do like visual things like that, whether it's Zoom or Flipgrid, are you there as well with your face? and your words speaking to them, do they get to see you? Yes, absolutely. I don't ever make my students do anything that I wouldn't or haven't done. So I I also created a sample podcast for them to look at all of the interactions that they have. I also participate and 
you know, respond to them so that they can see me as well. And you, you kind of already jumped into when, when we're thinking about innovative ideas and, and you kind of have an edge over a lot of people that were um, tra- making that transition because of your role in CTE. Um, what would you say either from your experience in teaching or some of the things that you helped others develop a plan to use, but the most innovative use of technology in the online setting? That's a tough question. Um, I've seen so many great things. I think Flipgrid is definitely um, one of those things. I know a lot of people use Quizlet or Kahoot um, to engage their students in different type of games or review activities. I think that can be really innovative. Um, I am this semester, I'm trying a, a group project for the first time online. Um, I spent a lot of time over spring break preparing for that. And so um, having students use um, Google Slides or Google Docs to collaborate with one another um, and then taking that work to create a a presentation in Google Slides that they'll record on Zoom that they'll then transfer to a YouTube link. Um, So I'm trying to make the best use of the technology, but also this isn't something that's going away. Our students need to know how to do these things. And I am fortunate enough to teach a course where I can implement some of that stuff so that they can learn those skills. Awesome. It sounds like uh, you a genius. Yes, (laughs) you are a genius. (laughs) And it also sounds like though you're using the technology it's just like basic technology. It's nothing fancy. You've got some like apps and some software that you can mix in, but what you're doing is creating these environments where, where students can get engaged. And I think that engagement um, piece is so important for student learning and student satisfaction. Um, and a lot of people assume that when you teach from a distance, you have to be like this tech guru. You have to be Ian Matthews and know how to do all of these things. Shout out to you don't Ian. You have to, but it helps. <laughs> it helps. It helps to be me. Um, but really, like, if you can learn a few tricks on Blackboard and if you get a few apps that work well for what you're doing, um, you can engage students in, in some very basic ways. Yeah. One thing that I've noticed um, in my 200-level courses is – I do give students an option like you can do your podcast using Flipgrid or if you know some other type of technology, feel free to use that. Just double check to make sure I can open it. And honestly, that has been one of the the greatest ways that I've learned is like students are doing this work. And I'm like, oh, I've never seen that program before. (laughs) Let me inquire some more and play around with it. And then I'm building also a toolbox thanks to some of the innovation that my students are already doing naturally. Can you talk about some of those things? Because that's, that's, I think that is, that does speak to your genius. It's like letting the students teach the teacher how to teach. Yeah. Um, specifically in writing in digital spaces, I guess um, sharing this class with you, Meg, is the best thing that has ever happened to my teaching Aww. career. So <laughs> we can stop the podcast now. Yeah, can I I'm get a bonus for that? that? It's like, where's the love? Yeah, You're very so, special to me. Your tie you. is beautiful. No, thank you. Um, in addition to students doing a podcast, they're also doing a, a vlog, which is like Ooh. a video blog. Um, and again, I said, all you need to do is know how to use your smartphone. 
But I have students, they're like, can I use, you know, iMovie or can I create this using this commercial, using Animoto or, I mean, there's been so many different ideas of how to get students to produce work that is engaging and that is visual. Um, And that's been really beneficial. And I have incorporated some of those ideas into my class. Yeah, why wouldn't you? I mean, that's just... Another tear. So happy. I think what you're saying, Christina, really illustrates our students have an agility with technology that maybe we are reticent to acknowledge or because we're unfamiliar, we're kind of close off to. But especially with seniors who are seniors in high school right now who will be entering um, our classes next year. These students have not only just had the past year and a half, right, using all of these different apps and online platforms, you know, that they are using LMSs in their classrooms now. So to use them in ours won't be so shocking and new to them. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, students as, as young as first and second grade are developing an agility with Flipgrid. I have a sixth grader who uses Flipgrid. My high school students use it in their language classes. So if we can get on board with that, it's, we shouldn't fear that our students can't follow suit. Right. 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 Like that, we're really the last bastions. I don't right. think it's that. <laughs> right, right. And and that speaks to, um, do you all know uh, Paulo Freire's yes. Pedagogy of the Oppressed? Like his idea was that there's this like banking education and students were like banks and you pluck, you know, plunk your money, your coins into the bank. Um, and that was like the knowledge you were giving them. And he says that is insufficient for first of all they're not empty vessels and second of all they have the power to teach you Mm -hmm. so anytime you can give a student agency um to make those choices in the classroom whether it's like what they want to study within a certain topic or how they want to um show it to you like you're saying christina um that's the chance for you to really engage in Mm -hmm. these teaching and learning you know cycles this reiterative process instead of just this one-way street where you're pushing information and like Rachel you said that information is sometimes beyond us like we don't know all of it so we only push what we know but think of how much we could give and take if we allowed them that freedom yeah one of the things that um the you know open a day you know when you're talking and like you said give you know give the students that um you know that give them voice and so helping them to realize that they bring a wealth of knowledge and information to the class. And I just wanted to kind of follow up on, not follow up, but just kind of, if you can add to Max's statement in regards to the levels of engagement that you've seen in courses that traditionally may not have been there because of the use of technology. Yeah, I guess um, when I look at all of my courses, my developmental class is probably the class that I use the least amount of technology, um, simply because there is skill level. But when I look at classes like even English 101 or technical writing, which I also teach, um, when you do allow students to to bring in that that expertise, um, it makes it it makes the class richer. Um, other students 
are more willing to try, you know, hey, Bob used this technology for his podcast. I'm going to try that for my vlog assignment. Um, so students are engaging with each other and engaging with the content. And I am reaping all of the benefits. Yes. This is amazing. <laughs> One thing that I also wanted to add is um, in doing that, in trying new technology, I am not afraid to, to let my students know this is the first time I'm trying to use this. There might be some kinks. Um, I might use it wrong. We're going to get through this together. And I think that also creates a layer of, of openness um, so the students don't have these like out of this world expectations for you to provide tech support to them. Um, it's something that you work through together. Absolutely. And it makes you human. Yes. So then they get to see you as Christina, the human that sometimes bumbles through tech, right? <laughs> Instead of like, I mean, you are this goddess on high, but you know, there are things you're going to struggle through. And I think that's such a, a key understanding when it comes to building relationships for, for distance learners. Sure. Right. I think also then when you're honest, your students feel emboldened to reach out and help you, right? Mm -hmm. So, Professor, I, I noticed that you've done this, but maybe if you did it this other way, we wouldn't have this glitch. And it's not uncomfortable for them, right? Because so often students have this preconceived notion that professors know everything, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we don't. Well, you do. No, no don't, don't. <laughs> Tell <laughs> fake news. Don't, don't put that out there. <laughs> Just ask your man. So, and, and that brings up another, another point when we talk about being vulnerable um, and allowing real teaching and learning to happen. A lot of times we don't, we don't show ourselves to be vulnerable first and, uh, and therefore creating this false level of expectation or this high un unattainable level mm -hmm. of expectation. So, um, I, th I think, and this is what you were saying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that, or did you notice that students were more willing to, to fail using some of the things and the new technologies and um, learning, the, the, the learning curve going up exponentially because they were allowed to make mistakes and then come through and they weren't judged, you know, seeing that you tell them up front, it's like, hey, I'm not an expert in this technology, so... Um, can you speak to that or did you notice that or is that like what I noticed initially at the beginning of the semester students are terrified to do anything wrong um, and it is something that you have to be intentional about like breaking down um, and I think that's one reason why I do share with my students hey I'm trying this new thing um, it might not work now you try this new thing it might not work, we're in the same boat. Mm -hmm. um, I have truly enjoyed just the, the back and forth email or conversation with students of, hey, I'm thinking about trying this, what are your thoughts? I give them my thoughts, they try it. Um, it may or may not work. If I have time, I'll you know hop into whatever they're suggesting and play around with it. Um, and then we're, we're working together um, and they feel more comfortable about you know, not being perfect the first time. Beautiful. Well, Christina, I want to thank you for joining us today in studio. I should add, it's so special to have you here and we really appreciate your insights. 
Thank you guys for having me. Is there anything else you want to say before you go? This is your platform. Jermaine's the best. (laughs) I mean, yes, Jermaine is awesome. That is that is true. The best. Um, Like, can I can I just interject something? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So this summer, um, I taught African American lit online, which um, was was another thing that I was very frightened about before, given everything that was happening in the world with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. um, I was worried that that environment could have become very contentious. Um, So another way that I showed vulnerability is by kind of weekly checking in with them. Hey, these things happened, Um, it's scary, I'm scared, um, you know, how, what What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? How can we apply that to what we're doing in the course? And that class actually turned out better than I could have ever expected as, as far as their level of like synthesizing information and thinking critically about what was going on in the world and how that um, is almost mirrored in the literature that we were reading. Thank awesome. you so much.